Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White with Bert Deister. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. Stay Happy cool. National Mead Day. Okay, National Mead Day. How's mead to drink when it's really hot outside? Because it's been relentlessly hot. For... I'm sure you could find a mead for it. If you had a nice low-alcohol mead with uh, you know, maybe a little bit of fruit flavor in yeah. the background, I think it would be good. Traditionally, not something you want to be making or, well, I'm sorry, drinking in the heat of the summer. Something you want to be making now so you can have ready in the winter holidays uh, in those kinds of times. Gotcha. But that's why we're talking about it today. So today is National Mead Day. All right, we'll get to mead in just a minute, but uh, let's get to some housekeeping or whatever we uh, generally call it. Uh, in stock, a new kind of propane burner. Yes. Is this, got- is this like a, a, a big deal and uh, or just like a top of the line? What do we got? Well, it's from Brewer's Best, and they have a what they call the element burner. Um, previously, uh, your options were a turkey burner, which had really low BTUs, but could take the weight of a big pot of you know beer on top of it. Or you had to move up to like the Anvil uh, and Blickman burners, which are both uh, well over a hundred dollars. Um, Brewer's Best came out with kind of an element burner because King Cooker stopped producing their big boiling burners and only went on to turkey fryers. So there was a gap of a cheap high output burner um they currently have the title of the cheapest burner to break 150,000 BTUs. so for 85 bucks 84.99 um you can get 10 gallons of beer to a boil in less than an hour so pretty impressive that's pretty good yeah and otherwise you're looking i think a little over 110 dollars for the anvil over 150 for the blickman so it's quite the cost savings half the price so this is basically a, a very good bang for the buck kind of guy you got it Okay. And I think it's going to be really popular. It looks really sturdy, uh, has a good regulator, and has a very nice heat shield. So not only will you be not pushing all those you know precious BTUs off and around the pot, but also when it gets windy, it won't be blowing your flame out routinely. Yeah. All right. So that's – and those are in stock. You've got a good supply of those. Yep. Should expect – those, if they start to move, like those are going to be a regular staple at the store, you think? I think so. And especially going into the fall, it's a good time of year for it. A lot of people are going to start, you know, backyard barbecues, uh, and they usually like to brew a beer. So if you're going to watch the football game on Sunday outside, you're going to barbecue, might as well make a beer on the side. All right. Other draft supplies that uh, you guys have for summer needs, what, what people yeah. might need? We have whole kegging system conversions. We have, you know, pump taps if you just want to throw the keg on ice and pump it. We also have repair parts to get whatever you're you know, have at home that's not working, working. And we also have cleaning supplies if it's been sitting in the garage since last football season. So start thinking about that stuff now. Um, bring in whatever you can if you want us to, you know, help you out with the repair so we can match up parts. Um, but, yeah, we're kind of a full-service bar- shop. We have all the replacement seals for different brands. Uh, we have replacement hoses, clamps, uh, and whole taps. Preseason is a perfect opportunity to clean all of your stuff. Like, you've got something out in the background. It doesn't matter that much. Yeah, consider so you can, it your preseason to the exactly. fall. You need to start practicing, get back into the routine. Um, so come on and get talk to us, and we'll get your equipment working. Cryo hops, you Are, still have those. Yes, and I'm dry hopping today. Oh. I started a beer earlier in the week and doing a New England-style IPA, and so I will get to open up my first package of the, you know, the new, the official, not a sample, but the official cryo hops uh, today. Are the reviews, have they come along anymore? I mean, it's been a couple of weeks that you've had these, so what are people saying? People are liking them. 
Um, we've seen a lot of sales, especially of like Cascade uh, and Simcoe. Uh, I'm using Citra and Mosaic in the beer that I'm brewing. Um, but they've been moving fast. We haven't seen any problems with getting orders in. These should be, like I said, a sustained product. We should see it through the fall, through harvest. There shouldn't be any runs. We should only see more varieties coming on the market. And for anyone that maybe is just hasn't heard of these in the last couple of weeks, cryo hops are? They are a... Um, I believe CO2 extracted lupulin power. So a combination of just agitating the plant and blasting with CO2, they take off just really, we'll put it in simple terms, the pollen. And so you're going to get a lot of the alpha acids, you're going to get a lot of flavor, but you're not going to have nearly as much plant matter. Uh, So you're not going to get some of the kind of intense uh, resinous flavors that you normally would. Okay. More housekeeping. The Dude Hates Cancer event is still uh, around the corner, and by that, I mean a couple weeks. you got some time. It's Saturday, August 19th at uh, noon, and it's not your typical kind of Buffalo brew fest. It's not your typical competition. No, and uh, you can be a beer judge. If you want to show up on August 19th at noon with a $25 donation, you can judge beers, and and I believe they will brew a small batch of the, the winning beer as well. Um, but it's always kind of an interesting show. You get home brewers showcasing one of their beers. They usually do something a little special, um, and you'll have a lot of the, we'll say, exotic. So if somehow the modern craft brewing scene is too plain and boring for you, you need to be at Resurgence Saturday, August 19th. $25 donation benefits leukemia research, and uh, to Resurgence Brewing, again, you make that check out to, or you, that's where you go. Resurgence Brewing, and August 19th at noon, beer judge for a day. It's uh, it's where the more eclectic beers tend to show up, you said, because there are no guidelines. You don't have to no impress. Guidelines, there's no style. There's no judges to impress it, other than the, the actual people who just show up. You got it. It's kind of like a best in show by uh, just by popularity. And one more thing before we get on to mead making. The wine supplies that you guys have, you are a full wine service shop. A lot of people forget that, and they come in, and they kind of just go right and you end up with all the beer. If you come in and you go left, there's a ton of wine stuff, and you'll start to see more of that kind of come up into the front as we get into season. A lot of people starting to think about fruit wine, starting to think about Perry's ciders uh, as well. So you're going to see a lot of big fruit crushers, uh, grape crusher distemmers, um, as well as presses in the front of the shop, as well as we have all the basics, you know, year-round. Any chemicals you need, as well as fermenters, yeast, uh, in juice. And so if you're looking for that kind of stuff, come on in. All right. So any time you miss an episode, you can find it on demand at uh, ESPN 1520's website and the WGR on demand portion of that website as well. So, you know, if you miss anything, join us. Go back in time. Last week it was why and how to use a pump, why you would use a pump, when you would use a pump. Um, so if you want to get that, that's last week. Today, the meat of the show. We've got some time to start this, and then we'll get to it more in the second segment. Mead making. It is National Mead Day. Mead is... Mead is a honey-based beverage, usually around the strengths of wine, or you could push it all the way up to a liqueur. Native to Ireland? No, we usually think of, like, I'm sure you could find some evidence there because it's pretty easy to make. The honey is naturally antibacterial, um, and it will carry mold spores. Yeast is a mold. So the spores can live in the honey, but bacteria can't. So when you rehydrate it, it kind of starts to just take off on its own. Um, Obviously, with modern mead making and even, you know, historic mead making, you'd be putting in cultures uh, from previous batches. You'd be reusing yeast um, to uh, produce, you know, more quality and and just really have a higher success rate uh, in your product. Um, Traditionally, mead comes from where we don't think of it, 
I think, uh, is North Africa. Mm. Um, I bet you if you wanted to look just based on population and availability of honey based on season, um, historically and in prehistoric times, uh, there's been a lot more mead produced in Africa. But everybody thinks of it as the drink of the Vikings um, because they were very famous, would you know carry it around, it would keep well on ships. Uh, and the honey itself being just add water and you'll eventually get mead was very you know valuable and easy to transport. And so traditionally, um, we think of honey as this big high, or mead is, you know, honey base, big high alcohol. There's bunches of variations. You have piments, melomels that may contain uh, fruit or grapes. Uh, You also have like tej, which we talked about at one type, which is like an Ethiopian beverage, which has some malt. Um, And you also see braggots in like uh, Scottish and Northern English beers, which are somewhere in a borderline between a beer and a mead. Um, now, traditional mead making, uh, you would take months, if not years, to really get a finished product. If, if you drank it initially, we would say it's quite hot, um, meaning it has a lot of, you know, fuchsial alcohol and a lot of phenols, and you have to spend a lot of time to wait for those all to die back. And it can be an agonizing wait, but it's well worth it. Once you get to the end, the product is really kind of a honey dessert in a glass. Um, So this is something that you'll break out. You'll break out, you know, small brandy glasses or something like that uh, and serve as kind of a after dinner, uh, you know, dessert wine. Mm -hmm. Um, But recently there's been a new school on the mead making. Um, And one of the things I think partly out of necessity um, that people are trying to do is make meads faster and faster. Uh, so people have begun to take kind of new science of home brewing and apply it to their meads. Um, and it's been a difference of weeks to months. So previously, I would expect to bottle a mead at six to nine months. Uh, with some of these new techniques, you can be bottling a mead in two months, you know. And if you're doing a low alcohol mead, maybe even sooner. Um, so there's really no big secrets, to, I think, to this fast mead making. And, and really, when you look at it and you start to read into it, it's really about not cutting corners, getting to your product on time, and really keeping to a schedule. Um, it, it's really kind of a no-brainer. And I think with beers or wines and as hobbyists, a lot of times uh, we would love to do this perfect method every time, mm-hmm. but life gets in the way. Yeah. But if you have the time, if you can set some, you know, you know, phone reminders uh, to get to it, to check to it, um, you should be able to get your mead, you know, in a couple of weeks. And while it's going to be better in a couple of months, it's going to be drinkable, you know, almost right out of the bottle after two to three weeks. That said, it's going to be much, much better at six to nine months. So try to put some away, try to age some still, but you can get it to the table, you know, in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And is there a noticeable difference? Could you tell in a, I mean, I mean, I suppose a, a meat expert would be able to tell. Oh yeah. And I think a, a novice would too. You could too. Yeah. The difference between a big, you know, 16, 18% mead, which is really, you know, sharp and almost, you know, has the burn of, you know, of booze. Uh, compared to one that is 10% and has been fermented. I mean, if you look at the difference between a big high alcohol wine, you, you taste it. You taste the bite. You can taste the alcohol. If you look at some of these 9%, 10%, you know, East Coast style and New England style IPAs, you really don't get that big bite. And some of the new meads are really right around that gravity and kind of follow similar, uh, you know, fermentation techniques. Mm-hmm. All right. 
We'll get to more of this mead making when we return about halfway through our show here on Niagara Traditions. Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Back here on Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It, and it is uh, National Mead Day. Not mead-making day, but we're teaching you how to make mead if you want to. Yeah. Join in and celebrate. I would celebrate. suggest celebrating by drinking mead and making there you mead. Go. I think that would be the best uh, combo. So to start, what are some of the do's and don'ts for making mead? Well, we're going to start right at the beginning of the process, and that is only give it enough sugar. Um, and kind of how much is enough? Well, you definitely don't want to give it more sugar than you have to uh, to get your desired alcohol. So if you're shooting for 10%, if you're shooting for 18 um, try to keep it you know, right at the only the amount of honey that you need to achieve that gravity. Um, if you put too much sugar, you create more osmotic pressure on the yeast, and basically it wants to pull water and nutrients out of the cell um, just because water wants to go to electric light, so it's going to want to go to the sugar in the water. And that pressure can be a big stressor for the yeast. Um, they say the pressure really becomes... Uh, you know, a stressor right about a 1.1. So if you're doing a big 18% mead, one of the big tricks is always only put in enough sugar till you get to about 1.1. And then when the yeast has fermented through most of that, you want to put in the rest of the honey to get to your desired volume. Now, this is where we talked about in the beginning section, the scheduling comes in. You have to be able to catch this on day about like five or six, I would say it's usually for me, at most is day seven or eight. So it's going to ferment for a couple of days, and then you're going to see the yeast start to crash. And you really want to get that second, you know, dose of honey in there before the yeast falls out. If the yeast falls out, it's going to fall to the bottom. You're going to put the honey in, and those yeast aren't going to do the work, but new yeast are going to bud, and you're going to have the off flavors from those budding. Um, now, this doesn't mean that you only have to drink dry mead. Um, once you've fermented it, racked it, stabilized it, you're going to back sweeten it with table sugar, fruit, more honey. So you don't have to drink dry mead to have a fast mead. Now, the next thing we can take a look at is fermentation temperature. Um, Making wine, you see um, a lot of suggested fermentation temperatures above 70 degrees. And yes, the yeast will ferment above 70 degrees, but they're going to start producing, just like beer yeast do, strong phenols and strong fuchsial alcohols. So keeping the fermentation cooler is really going to be key in the process. If we don't create phenols, if we don't create fusel alcohols, we don't have to wait for them to go away. So put it in your beer fermentation chamber, hide it in the corner of the basement, try to keep it around 65 degrees, and that should keep the kind of production of those off flavors in check. Um, you also want to add nutrients. Now, this is where it kind of gets 
a little bit of a spider web online. Because as soon as you start searching mead making nutrients online, you start to get a lot of different proprietary blends. Um, we carry three or four different <laughs> blends okay. already from, from different manufacturers. And people ask us all the time, can you get this one in stock? Can you get this one in stock? And I will have to say, and I have to put the, the foot down, I think four different nutrient <laughs> blends is enough. Um, I think you're starting to see a lot of repeat in some of these nutrient blends. And not to say that they're not really good or they don't come with really good uh instructions and, and that I think has set some of them apart. Some of these nutrients that are coming out there for mead making are really taking you through a whole step-by-step process. So yes, are they giving you a really quality nutrient? Yes. Is it overpriced? Not really. Do you have to get that specific nutrient to make a really good quick mead? Absolutely not. Um, you can get a run-of-the-mill um, full nutrient blend. You want to stay away from just using diammonium phosphate um, and look at one that's going to have kind of a more complete blend of nutrients. It's going to have botan, it's going to have manganese, it's going to have uh, cooked yeast cells or just diatoms to act as a kind of shielding agent. So when you get started, they have some basically dead cells that they're able to cling on to. Um, we carry ones from both Y-Yeast, White Labs, uh, we carry Fermax, as well as we carry a um, you know, BSG-branded um, bulk uh, nutrient. And all of these have all of the uh, kind of elements that I just mentioned. So as long as you're not just using DAP, um, adding a good new yeast nutrient is really going to help out. Um, without these nutrients, the yeast fermentation may start to get a little bit funky. and You may get more kind of flavors that you're not looking for. Again, we're fermenting big alcohol. We have a lot of fermentation going on. We're going to have a lot of flavors. So don't worry about making something that's too neutral when you're doing this process. But if you're going for a high alcohol mead, add the large dosage. It will usually be anywhere from a teaspoon to a teaspoon and a half per gallon. Um, so yeah, make sure you add nutrients and not just your regular dab. Now we come down to the yeast, and on the show I know we talk about yeast a lot, and we also talk about the importance of yeast and trying not to stress them. With also mead making, there's probably a really um, big factor is what yeast you're going to choose with what kind of flavor you get in the long run. Um, kind of like German Pilsners or white wine, um, the or Belgian Saisons or Blondes, the yeast is really showcased in a mead. The honey is too, but those are the only two ingredients for most meads, and so those are really are what's going to showcase um, your flavors. Um, the standard has always been EC1118 or the pasture champagne yeast. Um, it goes up to 18%. It's good in low-nutrient environments. It tends to stick around um, for a while. Uh, so that's great. All great properties. Um, but it is a traditional wine yeast, and it can produce a lot of um, off flavors. So I would just say look around. There's, there's plenty of other yeasts that are going to produce um, you know, great flavors, um, but you want to, the key to the yeast is really going to be to pitch high. So if you go for EC1118 and you're doing a gallon, do two to three packages. I know you're about to pick up that package and you're going to see on there that you could ferment, you know, five to six gallons. Um, if you decide to go with, um, you know, Red Star and their Premier Cuvée, it's going to say the same, five to six gallons. 
yes, it will ferment that. Yes, it will ferment it to completion, but you're putting a lot of stress, again, on those individual yeast cells. You can use a calculator. You can do a starter, but make sure you add enough yeast. Um, if you're going by a package recommendation, I would say for general rule of sum, if you don't want to look at a calculator, it three times. So three times the recommended pitch rate um, based on a dry or a liquid yeast. And always pitch more than you think you need. Um, if you just pitch a single yeast package, again, those cells are going to have to do more work as they exchange nutrients, they scar the outside layers of their cells, and they begin to produce more off flavors. So pitch heavy. Um, next stage, we're on to racking. So we got a mead fermenting now. We're watching it. We're thinking about adding a second dose of honey. How much time has passed for this? We would say we're in the first three to five days. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. So to give you an idea, we've, we've talked about this. We've covered, you know, three or four <coughs> factors that you really need to focus on. A couple of things that you need to look at in the first couple of days. How fast is fermenting? When do I need to get my second dose of honey? And now we're at day five to seven, and we need to rack already. So after these have flocculated and they've run out of sugar, they're going to go down to the bottom. Now, we don't want to pull it too early. We want the, If the yeast is still fermenting, we don't want to take it away. We could end up leaving diacetyl or acetaldehyde, so kind of butterscotch, you know, or buttered popcorn flavor if it gets really intense, or also kind of a green apple uh, flavor. But if we leave the yeast at the bottom of the fermenter, uh, they're going to start to produce, again, kind of fuchsial alcohols and phenols uh, because they're going to kind of try to, you know, process whatever nutrients are left, and they're not going to be able to complete a cycle off that. So as soon as it's done fermenting, as soon as you see a little bit of clear mead at the top, you want to move that right over to a secondary. Um, this is the big step here. And if, if you were a, a casual mead maker and you're just kind of listening to this, um, you know, as an interest saying, no, I prefer just leaving a jug down in the basement for two years, coming back and it being wonderful. That's great. Mm -hmm. Keep doing it. But if you're going to take one note out of here, the early racking is kind of, I found the key. I mean, the adding the big, the big pitch of yeast, I think most mead makers have figured out by now. Um, but the racking right after the fermentation is complete is really key to kind of stopping the production of a lot of these flavors. Um, so now we've moved it into a secondary. We've gotten it off the yeast. We've gotten it off any, you know, bits of, you know, fruit that we've added or, you know, bits of bee parts or wax. And now that we're in the secondary, we just got to let it sit for a while. So now you're about a week, two weeks in. You can let it sit. You can take your time and come back to it. So you could let it sit for months at this point, or you could be bottling it in a couple more weeks. But there's a couple more steps to kind of making a quick mead. Um, before we bottle it. And first thing we're going to do is degas it. I have to admit that I have never degassed any of my meads um, because of fear of introducing oxygen late in the fermentation. And I think a lot of other mead makers have the same fear. But I think we have to remember, one, we can always add some sorbic acid or sodium metabisulfite you know, prior to degassing so that when we do introduce oxygen, it reacts with those elements and it doesn't react with the mead. But we also have to remember that mead has a lot of antioxidant properties. Um, so if you degas it, you shouldn't do much damage to it. But by degassing it, you're going to take out a lot of CO2 or carbonic acid, um, which is going to make the mead very bitter. 
Um, if left in the mead, it will very slowly lose this carbonic acid. If you have a short cork, we're talking maybe a year to year and a half. That's a long time. Um, and while this pH is really low or these acids are really high, it can be quite sharp. Now you can check the pH after degassing, and if it's still a little bit high, you can use something like potassium carbonate to get the pH a little bit higher. Um, I would kind of uh, not worry about this much in the beginning of the fermentation uh, because your pH is going to begin to drop as soon as fermentation uh, you know, starts, and then it's going to come back a little bit. Um, so I often don't test my pH at the beginning of meads or wine. They kind of wait until secondary or degassing to kind of take a good reading on that. Um, once you have, I would taste it first before making any changes. Um, anything below a three is going to taste very bitter. You really want to be shooting for about like a 3.5 to 4.5 um, and add the potassium carbonate in slow doses. Add half of what you think you calculated you need, see what you get, and then go from there. Just in case you've made a you know, mistake in reading the total acid levels in the wine compared to the pH, that way you don't take it way kind of out of whack. All right. And then I would still suggest bottling the mead in a wine bottle with a cork, aging it on its side. Um, well, two weeks upright, a couple of weeks on its side, a couple of years on its side if you really can. Um, even if you've done the fast mead process. And I bet you if you opened a bottle three years down the road of a fast mead and then, you know, a similar mead in the traditional process, it would really kind of show its numbers. Mm. We've done beer, wine, kombucha, mead. Tej. Did we do that? We did Tej. We did Tej? Yep, because I, I saw stuff on that when I was okay. uh, coming out of here. We've touched almost every base. I think so. We'll find if more. If there's anything we forgot, please let us know. All right. So there's one more thing we can get into this, and that is using beer yeast. So a lot of people have started using beer yeast, and I think if anybody is looking, I want to get to it before we end here, Nottingham. We always promote Nottingham, one of the favorites, but also Y-Yeast 1388, USO5, and F33. Beer yeast are meant for rapid fermentation, rapid turnover. If you're trying to produce rapid mead at home, I highly suggest the beer yeast. All right. So if we've inspired you to make a mead in the next couple of weeks and drink it in the next couple of weeks, you better go brew it yourself. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.